23, starting at verse 1. Let me read it before us. And Jacob lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, Esau was coming. And 400 men with him. So he divided the children among Leah and Rachel and two female servants. And he put the servants with their children in front, then Leah with her children, and Rachel and Joseph last of all. He himself went on before them, bowing himself to the ground seven times until he came near to his brother. But Esau ran to meet him, embraced him, fell on his neck, and kissed him, and they wept. Verse 5. And when Esau lifted up his eyes and saw the women and the children, he said, Who are these with you? And Jacob said, The children whom God had graciously given your servant. And the servant drew near they and their children, and they bowed down. Leah, likewise, and her children drew near and bowed down. And last, Joseph and Rachel drew near, and they bowed down. And Esau said, What do you mean by all this company that I met? Jacob answered, To find favor in the sight of my Lord. But Esau said, I have enough. My brother, keep what you have for yourself. Jacob said, No, please, if I have found favor in your sight, then accept my present from my hand. For I have seen your face, which is like seeing the face of God, and you have accepted me. Verse 11. Please accept my blessing that is brought to you, because God has dealt graciously with me, because I have enough. Thus he urged him, and he took it. Verse 12. Then Esau said, Let us journey on our way, and I go, and I will go ahead of you. But Jacob said to him, My Lord knows that the children are frail and that the nursing flocks and the herd and the herds are a care to me. If they are driven hard for one day, all the flock will die. Let my Lord pass on ahead of his servant and I will lead on slowly at the pace of the livestock that are ahead of me and at the pace of the children until I come to my Lord and Sarah. So Esau said, let me lead with you some of the people who are with me. But he said, what need is there? Let me find favor in the sight of my Lord. So Esau returned that day on his way to Seir. But Jacob journeyed to Succoth and built himself a house and had made booths for his livestock. Therefore, the name of the place is called Succoth. And Jacob came safely to the city of Shechem, which is in the land of Canaan, on his way from Padamaram. And he camped before the city and from, from and from the sons of Hamar, Shechem's father, he bought for a hundred pieces of money the pieces of land which he had pitched his tent. There he erected an altar and called it El Elroy, El Elohi, Israel. Let me stop there. Let me pray for us. That's the Lord to bless us uh, at this time, that his name is glorified, and that I can preach his word proper, uh, faithfully. Let me pray for us. Our Father God from heaven, Lord, we thank you, Lord, for your goodness. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you, Lord, for allowing us, Lord, to be back another Lord's day, to be with your people, to be in your word. So, Lord, we ask you, Lord, let this day, Lord, uh, be a day of your glory, not, not crest and glory, no one else, 
to Lord anything in myself that try to take the glory, Lord, remove it from me. I am weak. I need your strength. I need your help. So help me, Lord, to preach your word faithfully that your people are built up today, that they can see your glory and be drawn to your glory. So, Lord, we ask you, Lord, to be with your people here today. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. As I was preparing for this message uh, this week and as I was walking through the test and many things came up and one of the things that came up to me was stood out. It was some years ago, um, I probably about a year, probably was a freshman in college, uh, freshman in college, what is it, about 19, 20, 19 years old, somewhere up in there. And I had this uh, car, it was a Honda, uh, I don't know if it was a Honda Accord or a Honda Civic. I had, I had both at a point of time. And I remember I had this candy red on it, right? That candy red that you see it, you want to say, man, what kind of red is that? And it had that gloss to it. It was a really nice car I had, and I really enjoyed the car. And one thing is special about this car, too, I had this N-Dash TV that came out. Now, the Jones are a little bit fan. They can buy cars with TVs already in it. So I had to actually modify my radio and take my old radio system out and put an N-Dash screen in it. So you guys ever seen the screen that comes out when you start your car out? So those things I had to kind of engineer and put my hand in, you know, and wire the cords and everything up, the wires up, and I put the N-Dash in. And so when homecoming come during the year, and I would be able to go down Main Street, and I have my TV in my car, I have my 15-inch, you know, my 15-inch speakers in the back seat bumping. And I thought I was everything at this time. Well, one guy... He saw my N-Dash screen in my car, and he was like, hey, would you sell that to me? And I'm like, man, I really don't want to sell it. He said, man, how about I give you $500 for it? I said, man, you can get it right now. <laughs> and so, uh, but the guy needed help. He said, well, if you sell it to me, you got to hook it up. You got to get somebody to hook it up for me and everything. And so, um, so I knew somebody um, that can actually take the N-Dash out of my car and put it in this person's car, and they was going to help me out. So this person helped me out, they took the N-Dash out, and they sold it to this particular individual. And later on that night, uh, the individual, man, he was ready to, to ride in his car. He saw the N-Dash in there, and the next day he was ready to ride in his car. And he gave me a call and said, well, somebody broke in his car and stole his N-Dash out. The N-Dash he just bought for me is stolen out. Like, nobody knew he had it but me and this other guy. So the guy was like, where's my N-Dash? I'm like, man, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> And so the guy was highly upset, like, you the only one know, like, where I stay at, you know what's going on. I just got it in there, and so happily, nobody's ever broken my car all of my life. But the next night, somebody broke my car and still, still, not my money out the car, they still the N-Dash out the car. So, Creston, where is this N-Dash at? What in the world? I, I haven't stole, I don't know what you're talking about. And so for me, it was just, just so broken, like, man, this is crazy. So I had to call the individual, ask them if they didn't know anything about it. And the person said, hey, um, that ain't got nothing to do with me. It's gone. You know, it ain't got nothing to do with me. I didn't take it, but hey, I, I didn't take it. Hey, you got your money from why you worried about it. And I'm like, in my, in, in, deep down in my conscience, it was really bothering me. So, uh, so I pushed in more, I pushed in more, and I found out that this one particular individual, they shared with someone else where the car was at the end dash yet, and they stole the N-Dash out of the car. And for me, which I'm kind of removed from this, I didn't do it, 
But it still was that guilt there. It was like, I know who was involved with it, but I don't have proof because they would say that they didn't know anything about it. What can I do in this? So what I did was I offered to pay this guy for another in-dash stream in his car. I said, even though I didn't do it, I want to buy you another one. And the guy that helped hooked it up, he heard what I was going to do. He actually made a phone call and things like that. And so he brought me to in-dash. And the agreement was, was that I wasn't going to throw them under the bus. And so what I did was I mailed the in-dash back to that person. I mailed it back to that person, and they received it. And um, the reason why I brought this up in this story was um, is this story is very, not similar, but it, some very similar restitution happened here. Was that somebody took something for someone, right? Somebody wronged something, and for me, wanted to make their wrong right. This person right here, they was honest. They bought the in-dash. And it was wrong for someone going in and take something that belonged to them. Today's story right here, we're going to learn about Esau and Jacob. Esau is the, the oldest brother. The oldest brother gets the blessing. But we find out, though, is that his blessing was stolen by Jacob. Jacob's name is Jacob. It means deceiver. He deceived his brother out of the blessing. And Jacob, knowing that he deceived his brother, Jacob was afraid of his brother, and Jacob left and went to Haran, Padamaran. But now we've heard last week, Jacob met the Lord. This is the time that Laban now cheated Jacob. Jacob has now four wives. He has Leah, he has Rachel, he has Bilhah, and Zippah. He has four wives now, but it's now time for him to go back to Israel. It was time for him to go back to the land of promise, but he couldn't go back. We heard in chapter 32, he was afraid that Esau was going to kill him because he stole his brother. Blessing. He's afraid. But what did the Lord do met him with last week? The Lord met his fear, right? By wrestling with the Lord, the Lord brought him out of the fear. The Lord showed him how to prevail, how to trust the Lord, and not to give up. And the Lord provided for him. So today's test is that now it's time for Jacob now to march on to meet Esau. And we're going to see today how Jacob now, his posture is going to turn from fear to something else here in our test today. So let's jump right into it in Genesis 33. If I could title it, I would say, A Life That Is Not Walking In Fear. A Life That Is Not Walking In Fear. We're going to do it in three points. Jacob meets his brother in humility. Second point is going to be Jacob to restore what he took from Esau. And the last point we're going to deal with here today is Esau go over and beyond to care for Jacob. Rod, did it, Rod, did it stop? No. Okay. Go, Esau's going to go over and beyond to care for Jacob in 15 to 20. So to jump, jump me at point number one, Jacob meets his brother humility. And Jacob lifted up his eyes and he looked and behold, Esau was coming and 400 men with him. Moses tells us, Moses is the writer of the book of Genesis. He says Esau is coming with 400 men. It's like Moses is trying to create this tension. Moses, Moses, why are you telling us again? You just told us last week he was coming with 400 men. Why are you telling us again? But this time we are not told of distress of Jacob. Chapter 32, 
when 400 men was coming. Again, let me give you a snippet of 400 men. It was 400 men that Abraham used to defeat the people of the kings, the battle of the kings, to take that lot. So 400 men was a lot. And so now we find out that Esau is coming with 400 men. And last week they said that Jacob was distressed. He was anxious. He was afraid. He was fearful that the men of Esau was going to kill him. But now we meet in our test is that 400 men is coming. It doesn't say anything about distress. What happened? Why doesn't Moses tell us this? Again, remember he wrestled with the Lord last week. When he wrestled with the Lord, the Lord was building his faith. And it might not seem like the Lord was building his faith, but the Lord was building his faith because we see in verses 1b to 3, things sound totally different. Jacob is not going to Esau now and pride going to war. Jacob is not approaching Esau with some type of trying to be prepared to attack Esau. But how Jacob approaching Esau, he approached him in humility. Humility. And normally this time, Jacob has his family with him. Think about it, guys. If a military is coming towards you, the first thing you want to say is that, hey, let me get my family to safety. Let me send my family away so my family will not get hurt in this. We don't see this posture happening with Jacob. Jacob allowed his family to be here with him. It's the opposite here. Jacob is doing something here. What is he doing? He has his family here with him. He's not in distress. What happened to Jacob? What did the fear go in Jacob here? Look at verse, uh, rest of verse 1. So he divided the children among Leah and Rachel and two female servants, and he put the servants and their children in front. Then Leah were with her children, and Rachel and Joseph of all. Now Jacob doesn't send his family away, but he let them go and meet Esau with him. What kind of stuff is this? What kind of man that leading his home going to let his family go before him. Get his wife and his kids and his servant before him and he in the back. What kind of man is this? What is he doing in here? Do you see it in the text? What is happening? I think Jacob is walking in repentance. I'm going to talk about this later in the text. But I see Jacob is ready to offer up his family and everything that, that everything that he received from the blessing, he wouldn't have offered everything back to Ashul Esau. And it's humility like, I don't deserve any of this. I don't deserve any of these certain things. It's not a posture of war here. You're going to war with somebody again, you would not send your family in the front. But Jacob is approaching Esau with humility right here. So Esau, seeing his family is in front, Esau see that Jacob is not a threat now. He's not a threat. And also thinking about Esau, what he heard from Isaac. You guys remember in chapter 27, Isaac said that for Jacob now, the blessing belongs to him, that people are going to bow down to Jacob, that you're going to be enslaved to your brother, that Jacob is going to be the one that's going to be, what's going to reign over you. Do you think Esau is ready to fight him? Ready to go to work? We also learn about what Esau said. Esau would be the one that lived by the sword. Wherever he go, he's going to be going fighting with a sword. So Esau is fighting almost everywhere he goes. 
that everything is coming his way. Esau is fighting, but now Esau meet, met an opponent that's coming with his family. Not only that, look at what else in, in verse 3. He himself went on before them, bowing himself to the ground seven times until he came near to his brother. Jacob bowed before his brother seven times. Seven is a, like a number of like perfection, like this, over, over doing it now. Seven times he bowed to him. So he went as far as he could go and bow and again to show Esau that he come to him in repentance. He come to him in humility. He come to him showing him that I have wronged you, brother. I have sinned against you, brother. Family, that's not fear. It's not fear. This is Jacob. He's accepting his wrong towards his brother and coming to Esau and letting him know that he is in his hands. Do as he please. Say, brother, I am in your hands. Do as you please, Esau. I have wronged you. Whatever you need back from me, do as you please. Let me ask you guys this morning, what kind of posture do you have when you wrong someone? If those are here in pride, feel like you never wronged anyone before, you have wronged someone. We all have. What's your posture as believers in Christ? What's your posture when you do something wrong towards someone? Do you go so far to try to protect your image? If so, that's pride. That's walking in fear. This is what Jacob did in Genesis 32. To protect his image, he went on so far to walk into fear. Family is so free to walk free from fear. It is so comforting and relaxing, not worrying about what's before you. It's so free, not worrying about the, the, the slave of the pride in a way of self-image. Worrying about what people think of you for you wronging someone. After wrestling with the Lord and knowing that he has never left, the Lord has never left him, Jacob found rest in the Lord. Jacob saw spiritual blessings. That when he wrestled with the Lord, that his hip was a testimony. That every day now in the rest of his life, he walked with a hip. It's a testimony that he wrestled with God and he didn't die. He wrestled with God and he prevailed. He met with God. He didn't die. But God took him through the fire. Family. All of us. As believers in Christ, God takes us through the fire. To make us more and more like him. He conforms us to the more into the image of his son. In the midst of that. Even in a time when we wrong people. God is using that moment to make us more like him. God is trying to kill the pride of us. And Jacob gets it. So Jacob now walks in humility. He's not forced to do these certain things. Jacob is eagerly wanting to make right the wrong that he has done. Again, family. Let me ask the question again. Is it because of our image that we are we, that we hold ourselves back from walking from this fear? 
To be in Christ, we accept that there is a lot of things that might come our way, but nothing can separate us from the love of God. So we don't have to be afraid to be the one to be honest with someone that we wrong them. Not in our current trials can separate from the love of Jesus. We can be honest when we wrong those around us. So we don't have to live in, a, in this fear, what fear does here. We, we don't have to be enslaved to fear. We are enslaved to Christ. So we can walk in humility, not worrying about other people's motives. And when we're asking for forgiveness. So we can walk in humility before the Lord. Jesus didn't blame us, right? For our sin. He said, Father, hey, Father, they sinned against you. Let them deal with it. Jesus didn't do that. Jesus saw that the Father was wrong, right? And for Jesus, making right their wrong, he take the place that we deserve, right? We deserve to be punished by God. Jesus walks in humility and say, Father, let me do it. We owe you what our lives, Father. I give you my life. A beautiful picture of giving back to the Lord what belongs to the Lord, his glory, which is already existing, God. Jesus himself is doing it before us. So we must walk in humility. And Jesus is a perfect person to walk in humility. So don't let pride tell you that you need more time to walk in humility. We are called to walk in humility every second of our lives. Now, it might take time and reconciliation, right? It might take time and reconciliation. But humility is something that for the Christian believer, something we should be exemplifying. So Jacob knew he wronged his brother and didn't come to him to blame game. He came to him in humility. We're going to see this now more in depth in point time number two. Jacob was eager to restore what he took from his brother. Esau is close now. He's coming fast with 400. He's getting close. Jacob is uh, bowing down before him and, and his family. And so he's right there beside him. He's really close. But what happened here in verse 4? Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him and they wept. Esau embraced and fell on the neck of his brother. This doesn't sound like Esau trying to kill him, but it does sound like a brother is accepting the humility of Jacob. We know this by verses 5 to 14. All of Jacob's wives and servants and children all bowed before him, Esau. And you guys remember in Genesis 27, the prophet, I mean, the, the, uh, when um, Isaac would prophesy and tell him that, hey, this is what's going to happen. That with Jacob, that everybody's going to bow down to Jacob. But look what's happened now with this blessing that Jacob got. Jacob is bowing down to Esau. It's backwards, isn't it? Jacob is bowing before his brother. And Jacob also is willing to give him all the possession of Esau. To make the justice for the wrong. And how did Esau respond? I have enough. I have enough. Look at verse 9. But Esau said, I have enough, my brother. Keep what you have for yourself. We'll talk about that in a second. You know how somebody gave you something they don't really want to give it to you? They say, yeah, you can take it, man. But uh, if you don't got to get it, I can keep it. You know, they try to. I think this is what's going to happen with Esau in a minute. Because he's going to take it in a second. 
But Jacob was like, nah, bro, you go ahead and take this blessing. Look at verse 10. Jacob said, no, please, if I have found favor in your sight, then accept my present from my hand, for I have seen your face, which is like seeing the face of God, and you have accepted me. Please accept my blessing that it is brought to you because God has dealt graciously with me because I have enough. That she urged him and he took it. He's offering him now, I think it's about 550 animals. He offered him these animals and everything around him. Again, this is different from Jacob walking in fear. At first, he was offering things out of him because he was scared of his brother. But now he's offering things to his brother as a blessing. It's a difference. Last week was a gift. Look at chapter 32 and 33. It's a difference. Last week, he offered a gift to him. This week, he offered a blessing to him. Family, that's why it's good to read our Bibles. It's good not to skip over verses. Many of us probably missed over that. And 32, he offered a gift to him. He didn't offer a blessing to him. But 33, he offered a blessing to him. Why does he offer a blessing to him? This should make you think back to Genesis 26, when Jacob stole his brother in 27, stole his blessing. Jacob is not saying sorry, but he want to repay his brother for all the damage he caused his brother. And Jacob has decided to repay him because his brother has accepted him just as the Lord has accepted him. Jacob doesn't deserve to be accepted by his brother or the Lord, but he gets accepted by both. So Jacob wants to bless his brother. And how you want to bless him? Jacob said, my blessing. My blessing. And Jacob wanted to give back what he stole from his brother. Jacob is joyfully and giving back to Esau. And Jacob said, for I have seen your face, which is like seeing the face of God, and you have accepted me. Jacob is looking at how he has wronged the Lord. And how the Lord still accept him. He has wronged his brother and his brother now accept him. Jacob is paying his brother to the Lord right here. Saying that now that his brother reminds him of the Lord. One person says this. Jacob's explanation that seeing Esau's face was like seeing the face of God. Showed the, the, so he knew the deliverance from harm by Esau was of God. At Penel, Jacob has seen the face of God. And was delivered in 3230. Having lived through that, he then survived Esau. Thus, Esau's favorable reaction was God's gracious dealings. So Jacob recently wrestled with God and prevailed. Now he shows humility to Esau and he prevailed. Humility now brings about reconciliation with his brother. And this is how this change happened in the ancient Near East. One person said, This is how it happened. This term spoken directly to Esau suggests that. Jacob views the gift as reparations for his step of his Esau blessing a year ago. Another person said this, Esau accepted the gift without recreation, suggesting that he considered the gift as a settlement for the wrong originally done to him. Hmm. What these sources are saying is that Jacob was paying back what was taken illegally from his brother. 
as a Christian in Christ, that we took something for someone, we are all called to fix their wrong. If we offended someone, we are called to what? Fix their wrong. Not to just say, I'm sorry, and go about your life. We ought to bring about reparation or restitution. We ought to bring about what? Holistic healing with that person. I know in our society, we talk about reparations, our society frowns upon it. The word itself is not a bad thing. The political and the social uses of it today has caused many to not even consider the word. But the word is derived from restitution that is all over the Old Testament. Greg read Leviticus 6, 1 through 7. We know Numbers 5, 6 through 7. Speak to the people of Israel. When a man or woman commit any of the sin, any of the sin that people commit by breaking faith with the Lord, and nothing in that person realizes his guilt, he shall confess his sin that he has committed, and he shall make full restitution for his wrong, adding a fifth to it and giving it to him whom he did the wrong. So you get into it with somebody, you offend someone. You shouldn't just say, I'm sorry. You should go even beyond to make things right. As Christians, I understand the world where I might say, hey, I'm sorry, go on about it. But as Christians, we should go over and beyond to restore the offense we, we offended. It even says in Exodus 21, 24, Eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, barn for barn, wound for wound, strife for strife. What is actually getting us that is that we should better restore what we took for someone else. It tells us in Exodus 22, 7, if a man gives to his neighbor money or goods to keep safe and it is stolen from the man's house, then if the thief is found, he shall pay double. I understand you might be saying, well, Chris, that's the Old Testament. Christ is nailed. We don't have to hold on to it. But the principle is still here. As the principle is here as believers, if we wrong someone, we should go far doubling to make things right. This is equity. So why do many struggle with this today? The BD had a blog that mentioned a few concerns while people struggle with reparations. He said this right here. One of them consisted of people struggling with reparations because there aren't people around that cause the harm towards a people group that mean no one should have to repay the hurt, right? And plus, people that want restitution wasn't around to deserve the reparations. So the beat mentioned, what about Exodus? I mean, Exodus. Ezra 6, 6, 1 through 12, he goes on to say about King Darius, a king who wasn't even born when Israel was country ruling over an empire that wasn't even in existence when the exile began, passed a law decreeing that taxes be paid by people who did not conquer or abuse Israel. In order to restore, Israelites themselves were not allowed during the Babylonian conquest of Israel. So what he's saying is that when the people of Israel was taken into bondage by, I think, King Cyrus, King Darius wasn't around. But when King Darius came around, though, was that even though he wasn't there when this happened, King Darius was okay to be able to make things right. The media goes on to say this. What had been stolen was returned, and then some as the province was commanded to give whatever is needed to restore the temple and the offering day to day without fail. A pagan king that wasn't around believed in restoring what was taken from a generation 
that he didn't even have anything to do with because he wasn't even born. We even see the same effect today. We can continue seeing the effect even in families that have been influenced or been affected by certain types of slavery. Yes, some of us have degrees and, and live comfortably, but look at the percentage of racial within African American compared to white Americans still today. The social, mental, mental, economic impact can be seen easily today. Pan macaron shouldn't be questioned. It should be desired from all. Regardless of many amazing contributions by blacks today, blacks are still are on the lower spectrum on many categories and related to economics in America. Blacks and slaves were on the lower spectrum many years ago. And still today, looking at the percentage, blacks are still on the lower spectrum within all, most all races today in America. And I believe that have something to do with not properly understanding reparation. And I'm not saying reparation is in the sense of that the political understanding of it, but a biblical understanding that somebody's wrong and somebody's offended or somebody's broken, we should make a right to it. If we don't understand this, we will still see blacks for the next 500 years on the lower side of the spectrum. What did Jacob do? Jacob went so far to right every aspect of his wrong towards his brother. And we should do the same thing as well in our communities with those that we wrong against. Jacob knew he wronged his brother and he wanted to restore. We should be quick to do the same instead of just saying, I'm sorry. We should go far to over to restore what was lost from others. I'm going to say this again. I don't want anybody to quote me wrong and, and say that I'm, I'm supporting the political realm of reparation in the world. No. The biblical understanding of reparation is, is actually restoring what was actually lost. I think we still see that. Even today with our African-American men leading their homes and African-American women. The, the effect still affects today in so many different aspects of identity. The identity effect, the mental effect still affects today. So what does that mean in the sense of to bring it back? the reparation, the restitution to build their identity back up. And of course, as Christians, we know identity is in Christ. It's in Christ and Christ alone. But a humanity thing, though, is that regardless of someone that's, that's not a, a person that is an unbeliever, we still should be able to see cosmic justice that happened in our world. We saw it in Jacob. We saw it all through Moses, through the Exodus. Brings to point number three. Esau goes over and beyond to care for Jacob. So how does Esau going to respond to this? Esau was excited to embrace his brother Jacob. Jacob wanted to make the right wrong, make the right, he wanted to right his wrong. And now as we get ready to end, we see Esau go over and beyond to care for Jacob, his brother. Look at verse 15. So Esau said, let me leave with you some of the people who are with me. But he said, what need is there? Let me find favor in the sight of my Lord. Esau extends more help toward Jacob. He knew that Jacob's crew was weak and needed assistance, so he offered to assist them. This again sounds like reconciliation between his brother. Jacob now is willing to walk with him and care for him. One person said this, 
Thus miracles were worked in Jacob and Esau. And Jacob got Jacob and Jacob God brought about a spirit of humility and generosity. Esau was changed from seeing the revenge to desiring reconciliation. These changes were proof that God had delivered Jacob to answer his prayer. So God delivered Jacob. But I think this love for Jacob and Esau is pretty good. But it seems like Jacob might have got ahead of himself. Jacob said he would meet him in Sarah. Look in verse 14. What is Jacob supposed to be going back to? You guys remember when Jacob in chapter, I think, 27 or 28, when Jacob, right, he was met in a place called Bethel. And Bethel was at a, at a, it was at a rock. And he had a, a vision, a dream. And the angel was descending down. And God told him he was going to bring him back to this land. But Jacob said now he's going to be going to Sarah. So we find in verse 16 and 20 that Esau referring, returned back to Sarah. But Jacob journeyed to Sukkoth, then to Shechem. Nothing about Bethel. We don't get any word that he made it to Sarah, where Esau was at, and we don't get any word that he made it to Bethel. Two things that have me thinking of this. A couple things here. Why did Esau want Jacob to go back to Sarah. I am convinced that Esau wanted Jacob to go on down to Sarah where Esau was living because Esau now is the new Laban. Esau now knows that the blessings is coming from Jacob, so now Jacob comes to Sarah. Who's going to come against Esau? There's one thing there. What about Bethel? Why didn't Jacob go back to Bethel? On the other side of this, I think Jacob is doing what he want to do now. And this is going to cause more damage. So next week, Lord's willing, we're going to be in Genesis 34. You guys know the story about Dinah. We're going to hear about that story. And where are Dinah and the, uh, the, 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 uh, uh, the sons going to be at when all this happened? They're going to be in Shechem, in the place they shouldn't have been. So Jacob has been walking with the Lord in this text. He's been humble. He's been fearful. But now it shows it again. Now Jacob did what he wanted to do in the end of this. Family, that sounds like the Christian life, isn't it? We'll be on track one day. Then one day we fall into sin. One day we'll be on track. I'm not saying that to give us last session is like, that's okay. But Jacob was struggling just like we're struggling. Family, we are to fight every single day. The things that come our way. But one good thing, Jacob does make it back to the Israel. And we know that eventually Messiah is going to come from his seed. So let's end today with a couple of points here. Applications. We walk by faith and not fearing other people's motives. At first, Jacob thought the motives of Esau was going to come kill him. But Esau was came there to, to actually to embrace his brother. But Jacob gets it right. He accepts his brother. Jacob's ready to do in humility to give back what he had wronged his brother. People might not mean well for us at times. But we don't, have, we don't allow them to cause us to dishonor the Lord. 
We can set boundaries so we can protect our own hearts from various things. Boundaries can consist of this. You can be praying for that person. How can you meet a need for that person without opening the door for that person to hurt themselves, to hurt you again? As more interaction take place, help them see why it's hard to trust them. Be willing to give them some practical things to do to help them reestablish who they are in this relationship. So family, one of the things we can do and not knowing what people's motives are, we still can be praying for them. We still can set boundaries and, and make slowly small steps to re reconciliation. Number two, we can take away from this message as well is, as Christians, we should go far over and beyond to restore what was taken from others. Or to far, go far and beyond to be able to make right the wrong we did somebody. How does it look? Somebody might give you a rod, gas money, right? It might be a $10 rod around town, which not to say you wronged them in the way, but on the other side is this, what does it mean to go in beyond to show appreciation to that person? Or you might have wronged the person and you didn't pay somebody back. What does it mean to go ahead and go farther and beyond? I'm not saying there's a law there and say, well, if you owe somebody, you got to give them double. But as Christians from our heart, we should be go over and beyond to be able to do whatever we can to be able to, go, to, be able to love that person, to be able to make their wrong right. And family, as we do that, we should walk in fear. It's going to be an embarrassing, right? Telling somebody you're sorry, you're kind of embarrassed, you're going back to them. It might be embarrassing the first couple of times. But over time, you'll be able to see the beauty of Christ in the midst of it. That Christ has called us to make right the wrongs. Let me pray for us as we end here.